If you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, you can slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. Uh, you are also welcome to look on your electronic device as well. Before we dig into this section, uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, the chapters as a whole, are incredibly difficult. There, there's, we've, we've covered a lot of really hard conversations, a lot of hard subjects from sexual immorality to divorce and remarriage and a bunch of different things. And, and through that, I've been really honored and blessed to, have, and some of the elders have had as well, to have some really great conversations going further into the text and what it means in individuals' lives. And so I want to encourage you and slash, slash challenge you and slash, slash plead with you. If you've been pushed into by the scripture, if, the, if, if God is pushing into you and you're struggling with some of the things that we've been working through in these scriptures, I would encourage you to, to dive deeper into it in your gospel communities, to dive deeper into it with uh, your families. And if you need to, come to the elders and let us walk through this text with you because there is a lot of really, really hard things for us to chew on and a lot of really, really hard things for us to, to work through, uh, especially when you start thinking about how it specifically applies to your life today and the different circumstances that everyone's in. In this section of scripture in chapter seven, it's almost like uh, we return back to the idea that was prevalent in chapter six when God was trying to show us that we aren't to live, that the sexual immorality and all the, the, the thieving and all those different in, in things that we were operating out of, is, that Corinth was operating out of, is not a part of the kingdom of God. That we are to live true, even though the kingdom isn't fully here yet, we are to live true as we are a part of the kingdom of God. And so that's the theme that kind of sets back into here, kind of through this discussion of divorce and remarriage. And this is a really, really great section. Uh, actually, if you're single, I'm glad you're here today. Not because it's good that you're here, not good any other day, but this is finally the time we turn the corner in chapter seven, where we stop talking about marriage and divorce and we start talking about single. And so I want to I want to encourage you that this is a this is a set of scripture that will define hopefully for you what it means to be single. And if you're here today and you're married, you're like oh good, I should have just stayed home. You can just check out. Don't do that because there's a lot for you as well in that. So because it's a huge huge uh, chunk of scripture, we're going to be in seven, chapter seven twenty five through forty. I'm just going to take it verse by verse instead of just reading through all of it so that we can know where we're at. And so again, look with me at chapter seven verses twenty five through forty is where we are. He starts it out saying, now concerning the betrothed, some of your versions may say virgins, concerning the, concerning the virgin. Betrothed was the language of someone that was, that was in this day uh, committed to someone else in engagement, with maybe the word we'd use engagement. But in this day, we've got to remember that marriage was very, very different than today. Marriage wasn't like, hey, I fell in love with this person, let's get married. It was usually you were placed because of some economic position or some kind of tying of families together. It wasn't always just, I love you, let's get married. It was a, hey, this is what will be beneficial for the family, the name, the crops, the, whatever socioeconomic status, status we are in. So a lot of times betrothal would be this period where a parent would look to another parent and say, I'm, I'm committing my child to you. And this is the, to, your, to your child. And that's kind of the betrothal there. And he says, so concerning them. Now, one thing we have to know that this section, we've already talked about unmarried. He's used this term unmarried. And in that term, it, it's best understood in the context of this text as those that are either divorced, those that are, it could potentially be those that have never been married or those that are widowed. And that, that's, that's what, how it's been used before. Here he singles in on virgins or betrothed. So this is specifically talking about someone that has never been married before. Someone that, is, that has not been married or is engaged with the process of most likely becoming married. There were also during this time, a lot of people that would just never marry, but live as committed people together, but not consummate the marriage physically. And so they were just kind of this way. So that, that could be a small group of the betrothed either way. 
That's what's going on in this context. He says, right after that, he says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Now, we've talked about this before. When he says that he gives, his, this isn't a command from the Lord, what he's saying is, look, we didn't have, Jesus didn't speak specifically about this. So there's no command from Jesus on this very topic. But what I'm saying is trustworthy. So if you look at this text, and, and especially the context of where we're going, especially when he talks about, being single or being married, there's not a command that you are to stay single or that you are to, to be married. He's, in fact, he's just giving us really wonderful wisdom for us to listen to. And he's trustworthy because he submitted to the Lord. He's already laid out his, his credentials. This is God and the Holy Spirit working through the Apostle Paul to bring us this letter that's been preserved over time. So again, it's not a command what he's saying. He's saying this is just judgment. Verses 26. I think that in view of the present distress... It is good, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. Here, it's, it's right there. Marriage is all the troubles, guys, okay? It's in the scripture. It's biblical. So he's, 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 this, this section is saying, look, it's okay to marry and it's okay not to be married. And it's okay to stay single, but it's, it's okay to be married. And he's saying, look, this isn't a big issue here. A couple things that we need to know in this section. He says, one of the reasons why he's saying it's better to stay within the, the, the position you're in. So if you're not married yet, don't get married. If you're married, stay married. The reason he uses is because of the present crisis or the present struggles that are happening. Historically, we don't know what present struggles are happening in Corinth at this time. The only assumption is that if there is any difficulties, it's just the, the difficulty of Corinth being a heavily pagan, pagan um, culture and Christianity trying to work its way in and dealing with living in light of that. So there might be some socioeconomic pressure. There might be some, some kind of um, some popularity pressure pushing people that way. We don't know what the conflict is, but one of the reasons why we're given to stay in the current position that you're in is because it's just difficult. It's just hard. I think one way that some scholars lay this out and it makes sense is just recognizing that living in this world as a follower of Jesus is just difficult. It's really difficult. And, and for some reason, we have in the church, it's seeped into the church, we've made it seem like a broken person getting married to another broken person, and somehow it's just marital bliss, right? It does, it, math doesn't work that way. Two broken people make two extra problems, right? Like, it's just, it's just mathematically makes sense, hopefully, right? And yet he's saying, look, it's difficult. You're going to have all sorts of struggles in marriage. He's not down on marriage. He's already said, it's, it's, you don't sin if you marry. It's good to marry. In fact, there's a lot of other scriptures in the New Testament that talk about the beauty and the value of marriage. But we got to do as a church, and we got we to change this right away. Hear me on this. We got to stop treating marriage as the end goal. We got to stop operating as if marriage is it. And that's, if you want to, you know what, you're kind of like a, you're kind of like the B team if you're single in the church. You can't really be on varsity yet until you really get married because then you'll actually have value. That's, that's just not true in scripture. That's not what we see here. In fact, he's saying the very opposite. He's saying, no, there's a way with which you and I can live our lives, whether we are married or single, and bring immense glory to God in our lives. And that's what he's saying here. So he says, the other thing we have to recognize, that I think part of why he's not saying this command, and this is something that 
culturally makes sense. The reason why he's not commanding this is because there was a huge, asceticism was a huge, huge thing in this culture. It, it, basically what that means, it's a voluntary abstaining from the satisfactions of bodily and social needs, including food, drink, sexual activity, sleep, clothes, wealth, and social interaction. This, there were ascetics, there were people all over Corinth that were saying that this is the position that they need to hold. This is why the question about sex within marriage came up was because ascetics were saying that sex is bad. You just shouldn't be married. So abstain from it wholly, completely. And that's what this is doing. So when he says, if he comes out and says, I command this, even though Jesus didn't do it, he's going he's gonna to have to walk this weird line where he's trying to confront the ascetics and their views, but also help the Christians understand what healthy living is inside of this. So that's why he's walking this brilliant line here. Um, another thing that happens in this text is, and we just have to, we have to have to see this, Paul in this text is not against marriage. He's, he's not against marriage. It's not, he's, not, he's not saying that you who are married are, are, are less than, or even you who are singles are less than. What he's saying is, is both of you have a role in the kingdom of God. And he, he kind of makes the point here as we move forward. Let me move on here in verses 29. This is what I mean. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let, not, let those who have wives live as though they don't, as, as they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Now, this is really important for us to understand. To date, any Jewish author prior to Jesus Christ sitting on scene viewed two ages as a whole. The present age, the age that had been destroyed by sin through Adam and Eve, and that was the age with which they were living, and all the prophets and everyone that prophesied of the coming Messiah, that was the new kingdom, the new age. And they both saw them as linear. One ends and the other starts. Jesus, when he sets on scene, we know that it's not linear. He, he dies, and then he's resurrected, and then he, he sets apart the new kingdom. And so now you and I are a part of the kind of the convergence of those two kingdoms. They're overlapped. They're happening at the same time. The present world is passing away. It's dying. It's going away. And the kingdom of Jesus, which is already here but not complete, is being, it was ushered in through Jesus Christ, and it'll be completed through Jesus Christ's second coming. And so we are in this age, we are in this present age. So when he says that the time is passing away, this present form, that word form is where we get the word schematic from. He's saying, look, this, the, the, the blueprint of what's happening is passing away and the new blueprint is coming in. We are a part of the kingdom. Jesus Christ's kingdom is here, which is why through chapter six and through chapter seven, he's talking about how we are to live in light of the kingdom, not in light of our present age. We are to look different than this world because we're not of this world. We are of his kingdom. We are of his purposes and his work. And so that's, that's what he's talking about when he says, this thing's passing away and, and these things are coming. So he's not saying, hey, married dudes, awesome. Check out, watch football. You, don't, you can just live as if you don't have a wife. You know, this is perfect. Just move on. doesn't matter. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you have to recognize something. And this is very, very big for us as Christians to recognize. Marriage is for this time. Marriage is not for the kingdom of God. Jesus says you neither marry nor give in marriage. Right? So that's, like, well, hang on, whoa, whoa. I thought, no, marriage is a beautiful and profound thing. It's, it's a wonderful thing. In fact, God's word teaches that it's one of the best ways for the world to see how the church and Christ interact together is through marriage, healthy biblical marriage. It's where we see, it's where we see the covenant working in, that God is covenantal with us, and we can see that. So it's, it's got its brilliant forms, but it's passing away. It's going, it's going away, as is the emotions. If you're mourning and sad, you don't need to mourn like those who have no hope because your hope isn't in this present age. 
Your hope is in the future kingdom. Your hope isn't in this. So then when we as Christians see a brother or sister breathe their last breath, as painful as it is, we know ultimately that they are in the Lord and it is much better for them. He's saying these things pass away. So he's, when he's telling you, he's saying, hey, live as if you're married, as if you're not, you don't have a wife. He's saying your marriage shouldn't be about building your family only here. Yes, provide for your family. The scriptures talk about it. We can't divorce those from this text. But what he's saying is your marriage, the way that you operate, should be putting more stock and value in the kingdom of God than this present age. The same can be said of our finances. The same can be said of our possessions. What he's saying is this is, this is the way we are to live. So singles, hear this. Hear this right now. Before you're married, before you've been married, you are to be investing in the kingdom of God with your life. Every aspect of your life is to be about his purposes and what he's doing. And that's, that's where you stay. And the, the same is true of marriage. Saying marriage, the same is true of you. You are to stay faithful to God's word. You are to be in place of where he's got you. He's gifted you to be in this position of singleness. He's gifted you to be in this marriage right now. And that may be for a season and that may be for a time. Marriage, he always says, is through all of life. But as singleness, you might spend the next 10 years in this giftedness. Either way, you are to be faithful. I think it's also worth saying this. Married people can't be faithful to the Lord if they are unfaithful to their families. It's not, you can't divorce those. A married person cannot be unfaithful to their spouse and to their kids and somehow still remain faithful to God. Like, no, that has to be reconciled. Faithfulness is expected in marriage. So it's not, a, it's not again, it's not, a, I don't have to be married anymore. I can just kind of walk away. I can just take, hit cruise control. I, I got the ring on her finger. She said, I do. I can just take off the gas and stop pursuing it. That's not the case. It's no, you keep pursuing marriage because that's where you're at. And that's where God has you. And then he goes on here and he says, so being free from stuff, being free from those things. He goes on and says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. So biblically, it says that all of men's anxiety is because of marriage. I just want to throw that one out there too. No, I'm just kidding, okay? So don't, don't stone me. He's saying, he goes on, he says, but the unmarried man is, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. This is good. It's good to figure out how to please your wife and to do those things, but it divides your interests. And that's what he's making the point of. He says, goes on and says, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things and how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint. That word could also mean noose, not to put a noose upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now hear, hear me on this. Married people, I love my wife, Jen. She is awesome. Okay, she's fantastic. There are things that I have to be more anxious about now that I've married her that I had, like, weren't even on my radar. Let me just give you a couple examples, okay? When I was, when I was first married, before I was married, I had in my, in my spice rack was salt and pepper. I mean, what else do you need, right? Now I have a whole cabinet of spices. I didn't know that was a thing, right? Now she makes great food. But for me, food was like you eat the same thing every day over and over and over again. It's, it's, it's calculated, it's easy, it's cheap. I had to make a rack for essential oils just to hold all of them. I didn't even know that that was a thing, right? Anxieties come about marriage. You start having to pay attention and focus on things that you weren't used to doing or you didn't know what was going on. I, when I was first married to Jen, I had three pairs of shoes. I had tennis shoes, dress shoes, and flip-flops, maybe a pair of soccer shoes. I married into a woman that is, she's great with money. She's awesome. But I married into a woman that loves shoes, guys. She'll be like, hey, what do you think of these shoes? I'm like, don't you have a pair just like that? Mm, the heel's slightly different. 
wait, what? Like, oh, okay, so, so we need this. Well, that's the wrong color. I need this color too. What, this is like four of the same color of shoes. Like, this makes no sense. You have to give yourself to marriage. It's not bad. It's not bad to want to have a house with art on it instead of living in your sleeping bag at your, your bro's basement. Like, that's, that's fine, right? Like, it's not, it's not bad to want those things, but it divides your attention. It divides your finances. It divides your efforts. You have, to, you have to do these things. It would be wrong for me to say, honey, enjoy the basement with my bro, and like, we're going to have that. It'd be wrong, right? Like, no, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to pursue those things, but you, you, get, you get distracted. If you're not careful, well, you, can, you can lose sight in that. Even, even Jen and I have, have, to, have to have this conversation and wrestle with it. Like, are we building our kingdom here? Or are we building his kingdom? Are we looking at our stuff as, as, as a purpose to be comfortable in this place, which is not bad to seek some kind of comfort, but so often I think it becomes the thing for us. Before I was married, I didn't have to think about those things. Here's, here's the truth. I can't do what God wants me to do in the role I have without my wife, so I'm so grateful that I have her and the way that we can partner and do ministry together. I truly believe that the way for me to please the Lord is with my wife. But some of you, some of you right now, you feel like you have to be married to please the Lord. That is just not true. What he's saying right here is saying, look, marriage divides it. Add kids in it, like divides it again. I think I've got four kids. I'm like gone on like 10% time right now, right? Like I got nothing left. Right? It's just, it's just divi- it divides you. It divides your interests. I got a bunch of other family that I got to get to know, as does she. You just, it doesn't, it's not like you gain more time. I also want to be really careful to say in this singles I believe it's, it's kind of a lie when we say you have all the time in the world because if you are, the, the singles that I've interacted with that truly love the Lord and want to serve it, they're way busier than even I am because they're, they're doing so much because they, they don't get to just come home and at seven o'clock put the kids to bed or 7.30 or eight or whenever it is, right? Like put them to bed, nine, 10, sometimes, whatever. Um, they don't get to put them to bed and then just have that time of intimacy and conversation. They have to go out and seek that and find that and do that. And so they do it with different groups of people, which is fantastic and wonderful. But it adds a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of investment. It's not just simple like, hey, we're on the couch together. We're both tired. Let's talk about our day. Like, you don't get that. Being married divides your attention. There are times I come home and Jen wants to talk a lot. That's not bad, right? It's not bad. But sometimes I'm just not, I'm not there because I've, I've poured myself out. But as a husband, and what's biblically commanded to me, I don't get to check out. I'm expected to engage in that conversation and not just go through the motions, but to, to pursue that conversation with my wife. A married person is divided. That's what he's saying here. He's saying you're, you're, you're gonna be divided. Verse 35 kind of supplies the most crucial clue in the whole chapter for determining when marriage is or is not appropriate in your life. He says, basically, whichever state enables one to live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord is preferable. So if in your life you can live single in undivided attention to the Lord, then do it. You're not a less than. You're not a, oh, we, we, something must be wrong with you. Oh, you, I mean, you, you seem like a good-looking person. Why haven't you gotten married yet? There must be something seriously wrong with you. That's not, that's not the truth. The truth is if you can live as a single person with undivided devotion to the Lord, then do it. If you can live as a married person with undivided devotion to the Lord, then do it. And that's what he's gathering here. That's what he's saying. We have to stop putting the assumption that the arrival in life, the completion in life is marriage because that is just not true because then Jesus wasn't complete. We we have to see that. We have to recognize that that we should be this way. Singles should regard their present unmarried state as a special gift to please God. Singles, hear me on this, please. Don't wait. 
If you're right now going, man, I really wanted to do this mission or this ministry. I wish I, I wish I could do this. And you're like, you're holding out because you want to do it with a spouse. That's not a bad thing to want, but to hold out from doing what God is stirring in your heart is the wrong thing. Go pursue that. It's been said a million times. Just run as hard as you possibly can after Christ in every aspect of your life and look right or left. And if anyone's cute running next to you at the same speed, like maybe that's your mate, okay? Like just do it that way, right? But just focus on the Lord. Just give yourself to the Lord. We have so many singles here that invest in so many different ways. In fact, our kids' classrooms are full of college students or, or young, young adults that aren't married yet. I love that. That's not a second-class spot where, oh, this, you have to serve your time because once you're married and you have kids, you don't have to serve them. They're parents. You should be investing in that classroom. But it's, it's, it's an opportunity to just invest and to go and to mature. Don't, don't feel like your life is on hold. That's a lie that the enemy wants to tell you. You can pursue Christ in singleness. He goes on here. He says, he says in verse 36, if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, and it has to be, let him do so as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, pause. I want you singles to hear this. I'm going to read it again. You can't stop me because I'm up here, okay? But whoever, whoever has firmly established in their heart, being under no necessity, but having their desire under control, and has determined this in their heart to keep her as a betrothed, he will do well. Single men, hear me on this, please, please. Your singleness is not an excuse to run from responsibility. Your singleness is not an excuse to just waffle through your 20s and just not really pursue anything and not have vision and just, just kind of run around and play video games in your parents' basement. Like that is, not, that is not what this is an excuse for. You should be establishing in your heart what it means to be single so that you don't drag some wonderful sister or brother in the Lord along with your unknownness. I've seen, I've seen guys do this over and over again. They have no idea what they want. They have no vision. They've not spent any time to figure out what singleness is, and they bring some sister in Christ along for the ride, and they just drag them through the muck and mire. Establish in your heart what it means to be single. You should do this even if you are going to be married in a year or two. You should, be you should firmly establish in your heart what is the will of the Lord for me as a single person. I will trust him when marriage is, if it is something. And some of you, hear me on this, hear me on this. Some of you have been gifted in a way to, to spend a large chunk of your life, if not all of your life as single. You are not forgotten by God. You are not a second-class citizen. You are not a mistake. Here, it, the reason why you need to hear that is some of you, specifically women, I see this, they start getting older in age, like 28, 30, 33. They're like, something's wrong with me. I don't know what's going on. No one will pick me, right? And, and then you end up making decisions that go against God's word to try and make something happen because you're lonely or afraid that you're going to be alone all your life. Marriage does not solve loneliness. Guys, the suicide rate is just as high in marriage as it is in singles. Marriage does not solve loneliness. Don't put that on your spouse. Christ solves loneliness. He is the one that takes from us the loneliness and shows us that we do not have to be lonely and we can be fully established in him. We can be complete in him. It says, if you're betrothed, if you're behaving improperly, one of the other things here is this is going back to the sexual tension idea. Also, if you're coming to age, at this time, again, 
<laughs> arranged marriages. They were like 13 years old at this kind of time. And so she's coming to age and she wants to be there. What he's basically doing and dealing with is there's an argument or there's, there's conversation happening where a betrothed man doesn't want to maybe get married because he was just, it was an arranged marriage anyways. But the woman is, is get, growing in age and she's ready to have babies and she wants the family saying, look, it's okay to marry. It's okay. But hear me on this. And I've said this before. Marriage does not fix your sexual struggles. It does not fix that. Stop putting that on your marriage. You have to see Christ work in your heart to deal with lust and porn and all those things. Being married will not mitigate those things. In fact, in some ways, it can exacerbate it if you're not careful. Please, please know this. Like he's saying, look, it's okay to get married even if you are betrothed. It's okay to follow through with this because that's the act with which you're doing. But he's also establishing something that's really interesting. And one scholar says it this way. Paul's commands necessarily favor neither of these approaches, but they do suggest that betrothal is a serious matter. Engagement is a serious matter, not to be entered rapidly. Yet once entered, it is not the binding covenant marriage is. I do this in all of my premarital. This might make people not want to use me for premarital. I tell them the very first time I meet with them, you are not married yet, and I'm not going to treat you married. And there's still a chance that you shouldn't get married. That is, that is the truth of what engagement is. That's the truth of betrothal. He's saying, look, it's not the covenant. The covenant is when you say I do before God. So what he's saying here, and he goes on. He says, careful thought and prayer should continue as to whether the marriage should be consummated. A balance must be struck between not prolonging engagement to such an extent that it leads to sexual frustration or sin and not making it so short that couples enter married life unsure if God's will has been done. Let me read that last part again. That your engagement should not be so short that couples enter married life unsure if God's will has been done. It's a brilliant quote. It's establishing the same thing. If you establish in your heart that the Lord has, has gifted you, is, he's willing you, is, he's leading you to get married, then establish that, and that's great. But live single until you are, and do it right, and not single like I can do whatever I want, but single like I can be ferociously chasing after the gospel and serving God and being a missionary all across the world. You can pick up tomorrow and leave for Syria, and you don't have to worry about whether your wife or children are going to be okay. You can just serve him faithfully without distraction or division. He goes on in verse 39. He says, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives this has been the theme, and this is why I said earlier, and you guys can go back and listen to the podcast, this is why earlier I said, I, I just don't think God wants divorce. Every, every marriage is seen as forever. When Jesus is talking about this in front of the, in front of the disciples, and I love the disciples because it gives us hope, right? He says, he, says he's, he talks about how marriage is, is to be bound forever, and that really that was hardness of heart, and this is what it is, and the disciples are like, wow, it'd probably be better just not to marry if that's the expectation, right? Like they're saying the same question that many people think, like, whoa, forever? Like forever, forever? There's no way out? There's no, like, it might be better just to not marry. And Jesus says, you'd do well if that's the case, right? This is, marriage is forever. This has been the theme through all of Corinthians. You are bound to one another. But if her husband dies, she goes into this again, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord, only in the Lord. Now, I talked about this slightly a little bit earlier on, but because I'm picking on you singles today, I want to really hammer this in, okay? This only in the Lord is, is saying only someone that follows Jesus. And, and let, me, let me just say this clearly. Singles, if you, are, if you are desiring to date someone, if you're desiring to be married, and you give, you cave on the idea of dating someone that isn't a believer, you do wrong. You do sin. 2 Corinthians 6 tells us to not be unequally yoked, right? You can, you can do it. Look, look, it's not an unforgivable sin. God will forgive you, but it causes so much pain and so much trouble. I cannot tell you how many people in this community that have been destroyed by a relationship because of someone that wasn't a believer and someone that was, and the actions that they took during that relationship compromised 
what it meant to follow Jesus. So much pain. Let me just be a little bit clear here. You really can't control who you fall in love with. You know something here? In in all this section of marriage and remarriage or singles, one thing that the Apostle Paul never says is, well, do you love her? Well, if you love her, that's not in here anywhere. You really can't control that, but you can control who you spend time with. You can control who you date. You can decide in your heart, establish firmly in your heart, I will not give to someone. I don't care how nice he is. I don't care how polite he is. I don't care how how pretty she is. I don't care how open to the gospel she may seem. I'm not going to use this relationship as a way to try and bring them to Christ. Instead, I'll be firmly rooted in Christ. I'll pray for them to know Christ and I will will disciple or, or evangelize with them with the safety of a group. But if you give yourself, if you give yourself an opportunity to spend one on one time with someone that you're slightly attracted to, that's slightly polite to you, or that is kind or treats you differently, you know what's going to happen is you're going to fall in love. And then you're going to be in that spot. Like, man, I, how, did, how did I get here? And here's, here's why it doesn't work. Because the scriptures right here say that for a single person, you are to be devoted to the Lord. It says when you get married, you will be divided. Well, how would you like to be divided? Not just in the fact that she wants a bunch of shoes and you don't. How would you like to be divided in the fact that you want Christ to be the center of your marriage and he doesn't? That's not good. That's not a good way to go about it. That's not, that's not ideal. I don't recommend that. The scriptures don't recommend that. And so my encouragement to you, please, if you are single and you want so badly to be in a relationship, don't give on this area. I promise you it brings so much pain. Can God do something amazing in it? Absolutely. Can you redeem it? Absolutely. We have people in this church that have come to faith after they've been married as one believer, not believer. I love those stories. God is capable of bringing redemption in every way. But why in the world would you set yourself up for that opportunity? Because just like it said earlier before, you have no idea if they'll ever come to know the Lord. You have no idea. So don't do it. Singles, don't date that way. Some of you, that may mean right now, like, oh man, I'm in a relationship I shouldn't do, or I find myself liking someone. Bring community around you. Bring community around you to help you navigate that situation, those conversations, because honestly, I have not seen anyone, and I, my own experience here, I have not seen anyone that is a believer date an unbeliever and hold true to what God commands them as a believer. I've not seen it happen. The believer is always drug down into compromise. And so I just, I, I don't want that for you. I don't want that for my kids. I don't want, if you're, if you're single in here and, and you, 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 you don't know how to say no, like, let me come along, I'll, I'll tell them no. Okay, like, like, please, it's just, it's just not good. It's not good. And, and I understand, like, you, you might be afraid that if he leaves or it's going to hurt him or her, and, and then I'll be alone again. Your loneliness isn't solved by marriage or relationship. Your loneliness is solved by Christ alone. Stop putting that on a future spouse. It's not right. It's not fair. It puts them in the position of God, and they are not God. Jen is an amazing woman. She makes an absolutely horrible God, as do I. I make a crummy God. But guys, it is, it, is, it is very clear. Only in the Lord do you marry. And then he says on, it says, yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. You're going to be happier if you don't get married. That's what he's saying here. And again, it's not because he's down on marriage. It's not. And, and again, we, we know from history to some extent that the Apostle Paul was married at some point. He was married for some point. It's pretty, it's pretty clear that we see it. Now, we don't know if he's widowed or if she left when he came to fight faith in Christ. We don't know the context with, it, with, with, it, with which it is, but he's speaking from personal experience. He's been married and he's been single. He says, look, I am undivided as a single person. I'm very divided as a married person. Every, every married person here can tell you this. It's not an excuse. Hey, married people, it is not an excuse to stop serving and to be a part of the kingdom. Oh, I can just be married then because I'm divided. I guess it's just what it is. No, you give your division fully. 
You don't pull back there. Um, this is uh, kind of the last few things I want to just encourage you with. A couple questions that singles you should ask. Is this the right time to pursue marriage? He talks about this present trials. I think a lot of times if you were just single, if you just ask, is this really the right time to pursue marriage in my life? Like, does, this, does it make sense? Have I established who the Lord is in me? Do I feel confident in that way? Is this the right time? That's a really great question to ask for single. Because then you just, if, you, if the answer is no, don't date. It's not like if you date, you're going to, oh, well, maybe this is the right time. Don't date. Someone asks you on a date, it's like, sorry, this isn't the right time. Just establish that in yourself. A uh, second thing we need to do, and this is so big and so key, for a long time, when we, some of you have been here later at Rev, we, we started out with like a lot of young adults, okay? We were like, it was like 60, 70% young adults. It was really kind of the scales were tipped in a different way. And I remember I would be talking to someone that wasn't in the young adult age, an older married person or, you know, gray hair or whatever it may be, and they'd be like, man, there's a lot of college students around. Kind of like they were saying, man, there's a bad cold going around. You know, like, this is like, this is like, and it was like, no, 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 this should be celebrated. One of the things that we as a church have done poorly and the church as a whole has done poorly is bring about family for singles. I, I, married people, you can check back in, okay? Wake up, okay? Come back, okay? Hear me on this. You should be pursuing people that are single in this community. You should be involving them into your life, not just so they can babysit, although that's a perk, Right? but that you should be bringing them into your life and saying, I want to do meals with you. I want to get to know you. I want to, I want to serve you. I want you to experience family in a way because some of them are, are going to relationships. Some single people are running to relationships because they just want to experience some kind of relationship. Instead of recognizing the, those relationships, the church is commanded to fulfill that relationship so that a single person can be like, oh, I don't, I don't have kids, but, but the Angelos kids, they're pretty much my kids anyways. And to them, they just, they call me uncle, whatever it may be. That's the way it should be. We should be operating. You should be bringing single people into your home and they should be like infesting it and being around you and they should be just rubbing shoulders. Here's why, hear me on this. I don't care if you're the smartest 23-year-old person in the room, okay? I mean, I don't care if you're brilliant. You still have something to learn from someone that has more experience than you. And I don't care if you have the most experience in the world, you still have something to learn from a single person that's on fire for the Lord. Guys, we are to do this together. So as the church, we need to fold single people in. Here's, here's why. Because there are people sitting in this room, I guarantee it, there are people in this room that don't know it yet, but they are the gift of singleness for the rest of their life. Or there is someone that has been divorced in an ugly marriage and they recognize that they can't remarry or someone that will be widowed. And I don't want them to assume that for them to be complete again, they have to seek out a relationship. Now, if that's the Lord's will for them, that's great. But I want them to see and experience community the way that God intended it to be. We are the family. We should be pulling people into our homes all the time, rubbing shoulders. Look, I don't care how hipster they dress and how much you don't understand them. Involve them into your life. Get to know them. Find out why. You may not relate in any way, shape, or form, but the, this is the beautiful thing about God and His Spirit. You have the Spirit of God. They have the Spirit of God. We are united. We are one. And God can do amazing things in this way. So married people, we need to pursue singles. We need, we need singles to be the singles. I need you to, to, to look at dorky people like me and be okay with spending time with us. Okay? I need you to be open to that and say, you know what? I really want this in my life. I want, I want to experience this. I want to, I want to invest in your kids. I love, I love, I love that my girls, specifically my girls, they're old, especially my oldest. She's getting older. She's getting close to those teenage years. I pray often and panic slightly most of the time because of it. I love that I know that if I upset her, that there are many people in the same stage of life and in a totally different stage of life that she can go to, that she has a relationship with, and that they can point her back to Christ. Because if the, she doesn't have those, if my kids don't have those, they're going to turn to the culture, the TV, the internet, or anything else, and that is where it gets all bad. So you guys have a role. So singles, stop waiting to serve. 
I don't care how busy you are, you're busy. Use your busyness as an excuse to bring glory to Christ. Use your busyness as an opportunity to fold him in to your community. Have him be a part of everything you're doing. Have him be a part, not only like an aspect of it, but leading you across the board. Single people, you do not have to wait. You have vision, come lead, step up. Start serving, start, start enacting. You don't have to wait until you're married. Married people, don't use this as an excuse to quit following the Lord or to use this as an excuse to just go on cruise control. Well, yeah, I guess I missed my opportunity, so I didn't really do it while I was single, so I guess I can't do it while I'm married. That's just not true. That's not true at all. One, one scholar recommends asking this question. Um, when you say it is, he says, ask this following question. Could I be equally useful to the Lord if married, or would it inevitably curtail my usefulness to him? He then comments, the quantity of time available for Christian involvement may be reduced once we are married, but its quality may be enhanced. At all events, I have no right to marry unless I have honestly faced the question of the impact marriage will have on my Christian life and service. So even though your time may be divided, married people, you still are meant to give quality time to the Lord. Even if you are here and you've raised your kids and you've sent them off and you got grandbabies around, you don't get to check out. You got to push in because you offer something that people don't have when they're in their 20s. You're not excluded to this. For all of us, single or married, if the end of the world truly would come tomorrow in our lifetime or any point, we should have an urgency to work for the Lord today. There should be an urgency in us to recognize that this world, the culture is pushing harder and harder and harder against the scriptures. We should be pushing harder and harder and harder because here's the truth. This world, as hard as it pushes, it's passing away and the kingdom's ushered in through Jesus Christ and he will come again. And until then, we should be fervently, faithfully pushing into him whether we are single or married. The band's gonna come up and we're gonna, we're gonna sing and worship. I wanna encourage you single people a couple things. One is, um, if you are lonely, like that's a, that's a genuine thing and I don't wanna make light of it and just say, well, Jesus should figure it out and you guys gotta figure out, like walk with people through that, okay? If you're, if you're experiencing that. If you're here today and you're married and you heard this whole sermon and all you heard was, man, I shouldn't have gotten married, <laughs> come, come get some help. Talk to people, please. If you're here today and you don't know who Jesus is and you're like, man, I, I, I don't even know who Jesus is, but I'm here and I'm, I'm curious, I would, I, would, I would urge you, plead with you to, to ask someone you know or to ask someone that brought you or, or come to talk to one of us and find out who he is and what he can do for you in your life because it's not just a better life, it's, it's life over death. It's not that you're, you're, you're broken, it's that you're dead and you need to be brought alive. And yeah, as he brings you to life, you'll recognize like many married people here, man, I brought my brokenness and her brokenness in the marriage and whew, it's just been like a brokenness fiesta all the time, right? Like, woo. But God can do amazing works in this way, right? It's just, it's just been, it's just, it's just something that he can do incredibly work. And so I just, I just wanna encourage you guys, don't, don't be upset about where God has you, but instead push into him and ask God, what do you wanna do with me where I'm at? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ability to be married and to be single. We thank you that you haven't given us a command to, um, to pursue only one of those. And God, forgive us for the ways where maybe us married people have pushed that on singles and forgive us as singles maybe where we've pursued marriage outside of your will because we just were afraid to be alone or to get alone in ages. Or we just settled for the closest thing to what we're looking for. God, would you, would you give the single people in this room just a, a laser focus on your scriptures, a laser focus on you, and where, where no matter how amazing the guy is or the girl is, no matter how beautiful they are, no matter how incredibly spank or how eloquent they are, if they aren't submitted to you, God, they wouldn't even give them a chance in a relationship that way. Instead, they would pray for them and evangelize them and show them who Jesus is. God, I, I, just, I, know, I know that many people here are wrestling with being single, and so, God, I just pray that you'd bring that peace that surpasses all understanding when we fix ourselves on you. 
Lord, for the, for the married people that, that now are realizing I just verbalized all the struggles that they're feeling, God, I pray that they wouldn't just verbalize those struggles, but instead would press into you, into community, press into what it means to be bound together in a covenantal relationship with their spouse. And Lord, as we, as we continue to move forward in the scripture, God, I pray as a community, we would be a community where people, single, married, di- uh, divorced, widowed, engaged, would be able to experience community and family outside of just their own nuclear version. Where, where single students would feel like they have a home to have a cooked meal, even though their home is miles away in a different state. Where singles that have, have, are older in years would feel like they have a role to be an aunt or a grandma to someone, even though they've never married or had their own. And God, where married people recognize that it is our job, our role to involve these people into our lives, God. We thank you for the ability to do this. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Thank you, guys. We have a couple really cool things happening for you guys today that I wanted to share with you, so I'm excited. About a month ago, we put uh, Jonathan and Colby before you as elders in the process for examination time, and God has brought them through the examination, and so today we get to officially pray Jonathan and Colby in as elders. So elders, would you come up, and then Jonathan, Colby, and your spouses, Holly, come on up here, Jen, wherever you are, bring them all up here. So we're going to pray for Jonathan and Colby, and again, just, to, just a reminder, um, Jonathan and Colby, after, this is Jonathan over here, by the way, Jonathan and Holly, and this is Colby and Gavin. That's Kristen who goes with Danny. This is Jen. Okay. This is a reminder after this, there's Brian. Thank you. This is just a reminder that after today, we've prayed them in position. They are not less than, they are equal with us as elders. They hold the same position as us. They are your pastors, and we're super, super excited. And so we wanted to just let you guys be a part of this. And so Brian and Midori over here, Brian was going to be praying for the elders. I want to just encourage you guys, if you want to, you don't have to, but you can stay seated. But even if you just Lift your hands out as if you're reaching to them because, again, the enemy does not like to see people step out in faithfulness and obedience to him and, or to God, and the enemy wants to push against them. And so these are your elders, and I want you guys to be joining us in this prayer time as well. So let's pray for them. Brian. Okay. Okay. Heavenly Father, I hold up to you not only John and Kobe, but their entire families. Gavin and Holly and all their beautiful children that, that they are raising in this church with each one of us, Lord. I know there's many of us that think that look at these men and wonder, will they lean on the side of discipline and holding us to the scriptures, or will they lean on the the, what we believe is the other side of the spectrum of mercy and grace, where they are one of the same. That, Lord, that my benediction would be that these men would look at every one of you that come before them, but as they examine your heart and the scriptures, they do it through a lens of grace and mercy as our Lord Father has done with us each and every time we've come and laid at his feet broken. And in Ephesians 4, it jumped out at me that the hardest part of being a leader in the church is unity. And Lord, just to read Ephesians 4, walk in unity, I therefore 
the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling for which you were called. With all the lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, enduring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace, there is just one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and therefore all and in you all. And Lord, I just ask that these men lead each one of us with one spirit, and that's your Holy Spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, I present these men to you, the congregation. Amen. 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 And because we wanted to see how many people we could fit up here on the stage, um, before we move to the next thing, I just want to encourage you as the, the congregation, it, the scriptures are clear as those members of this church to, to be a joy to lead. And, and one of the ways that you can be a joy to lead is, I get this, I've talked this a lot, it's been basically just me as a staff elder, now it's John as well as a staff elder, but um, Brian and Midori and Danny and Kristen have done so much, and we'll get sometimes the, the thank yous, and, but they'll kind of go behind the wayside. And so I would just encourage you guys to admonish and encourage these families to, to, to be a joy to lead and to push into them. If you think of something that you really are, are appreciative of, that God's doing in this church, like thank them for their obedience of it, because we will hear about things that are struggling in the church, which we're grateful for, but sometimes it can all be very one-sided. And so just encourage you guys to bless them. The other really, really exciting news is we have hired a youth director. Woohoo! Yes. And so Terrell and Whitney, would you come on up here? This is Terrell and his wife, Whitney, and um, their child. Sorry, that's like there. Yes, she's, she's expecting, which we're super, super excited. This is Terrell. We hired him to be the youth director. This is his wife, Whitney. We're super excited for them to be here, and so we wanted to pray for them in as well. So this is the person that you guys can come to whenever something's wrong in the building, because he's over the youth, right? Um, <laughs> No, we're super excited about their hearts. I'm excited to get to know them even more. I'm excited to see what God does in and through them for this community, especially just their desire to see the next generation grow. So I'm, I'm really, really excited about it. I've said excited a lot because that's how excited I am. So let's pray for them real quickly. Father, I just want to thank you for your church, that you build it, that you establish it, that you establish leadership over it. I pray specifically for Terrell and for Whitney that um, your spirit of protection would be around them as they make this transition in life, as they come into the body of Revolution 22 and start to build relationships. I know that that is um, just a vulnerable moment. So I pray for protection, um, not just spiritual protection, but physical protection, relational protection, that this body would be um, receptive to them and not wait for them to reach out, but would reach out to them. Father, I pray for um, for uh, Whitney during the pregnancy. That um, I know that is just a, another thing in transition, a big waiting period. I pray that there would be peace there, uh, that the pregnancy would go well. And, um, and again, I just pray for their future family, that... Um, that not only do they lead well here, but they lead well there. Father, thank you for your son. Um, we do all of this because he did first. Pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. So make sure you give him high fives and hugs. They'll love that, okay?
Thank you. All right, we're going to transition to announcements so we can all get out of here. Um, Bree, can you come on up here too? Perfect. Danny. So just trying to do a million things here. Okay, what else can we do? Anyone else got something to do? Hi, I'm Bree Livingston, and I have the honor and privilege of getting to plan the women's retreat. And we're coming up on our fifth women's retreat this year. So it's really important for us to get, yes, um, to get up here and just announce that this is the last week for the early bird registration. The retreat is the first weekend in 